0: Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. So this week, this week Monday, well, I'll go to Tuesday. This week Tuesday, I discovered that a friend of mine went to work on Monday, suffered an accident and passed away. His name is Isai Kavada. He's been here, played the drums for one of the events that we had here. Um, used to be a part of our worship team when I was in Granville. He and his wife were serving at En Church and he has a seven-month-old baby at home. And of course, when you hear something like that, it breaks your heart. And as I was preparing for this message I'm going to title today's message, Life is Short. Now, here's the thing. Back in July, I did two parts about why, two-part series on why bad things happen to good people. If you want to hear about that, go to YouTube, look up the the, the, the message in July. I don't want to focus today on why bad things can happen to good people, because we've covered that. I'm going to start in James chapter 4, 13 through 17. It says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin to them. Now, as I think about Isaiah, he woke up that morning, planned to go through Everything in a normal way. I don't have all the details, but he worked in construction. There was a fall involved. He didn't survive. That was the end. We'd look at him and we'd say, for him, life was short because it was unexpectedly short. But, all right, Ben, pull that off to the side there. Give me this here. This cord is going to represent life. All right, pull it farther over there. Okay? Here's the thing. That is representing each of our lives. But to be accurate in how we portray it, this is when you were born. This is when you graduated high school. This is when you got married. This is your 10th anniversary. Lorena and Henry, this is your 70th anniversary. All of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. The Bible says in Matthew 25, 46, and these to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There is both eternal Punishment, which is separation from God, and eternal life, which is communion with God. We've, we've talked about this before. That death isn't the ceasing to exist. Death is a separation. Remember in, when Adam and Eve were told, when you eat of this fruit, you will surely die? And then, like, they ate the fruit and the story kept going. Anybody else, like, I thought it was going to be a poison mushroom? But what did happen when they ate the fruit? They were separated. Their relationship with God was separated. Spiritual death is separation of our spirit from God's spirit. Physical death isn't the ceasing to exist. Physical death is the separation of my spirit from my body. Henry and Laredo, we celebrated, was it last week or the week before, their 70th wedding anniversary. And we'd look at that and we'd say, well, that's a pretty long life. But Henry, you have a short life. I have a short life. Isaias had a short life. All of us have a short life compared to the eternity that we're going to continue to live. You can put that down, Ben. I'm going to keep this here. I might refer to it again a little bit later. But life is short. God says in 2 Peter 3, 8, he says do not forget this one thing, dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Sometimes, how many of you have ever gone somewhere with a kid in the car? How many ever heard the words, are we there yet? (laughs) How much longer? How much longer? And you can be on your way doing The speed limit are slightly over. You can be doing everything you can to get to where they want to be and they're still not happy because they're not there yet. It hasn't happened. But we're on our way. It's coming. But there's, there's so many things that don't make sense until we look at them in the light of eternity. When we try to measure our entire life as if I'm born here and I die there and the only thing that matters is everything in between, we'll, we'll make bad value calls. We'll, we will be off. It's interesting, Matthew, or sorry, not Matthew, Psalms, Psalms chapter 73. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13, then I'm going to skip to 16 and 17. But 12 and 13 says, Behold, These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. David says this, he says, look at the wicked people. Everything seems to be going so good for them. And I have done the right thing, stayed innocent, behaved as I was supposed to, and that is in vain. You don't have to raise your hand, but anyone ever thought that way? You're like looking at the situation and you're like, "Ah, oh, why do they get all the breaks?" We're down here looking at this. You know, what, why are they ahead in the race? And this is what it says in verse 16. It says, but when I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. He says, I tried to figure this out. Why is it that they're succeeding? Why am I feeling like my good behavior and an obedience to God isn't paying off? And it felt like that was a worrisome task. Everyone, anyone ever felt like it's a worrisome task? He says, until, and in other words, he had that perspective, until, I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. He said, when I got my face out of this little spot where I'm at, and I discerned their end, then it all made sense. Then he realized, wait a minute. Doing right, obeying God, wasn't so that I could beat my neighbor By Friday I'm in this for the long haul I don't have to be jealous Of the wicked Who appears Whose life appears to be going Better than mine I need to have sympathy on them And hopefully ask If there's any way The Lord can help me To lead them to him Because if they don't change Their eternity Is going to be ugly there are so many things when we look at a situation and we, when, we, when we see a situation and we say, wow, how could that happen to a family, a seven-month-old and the, his wife? Oh! We're looking at a very tiny piece. Life is short for everyone. I'm not... I'm not here to scare everyone into, you could die tomorrow. You could. Probably not. But you could. We're not to focus on fear. The Bible says, in Second Timothy 1, 6-7, it says, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He says, you don't, you haven't been given fear. You've been given power, love, and a sound mind. Why? So that you can stir up the gift of God that has been given to you. Not only do we not have fear, but the reason we have no fear is so that we can stir up God's gift in us. You know what fear is? Fear is misjudging and miscalculating what's coming. They have done studies. Do you wanna know what the most feared thing is? Has anybody heard this? Did you know death isn't the most feared thing? Tracy, right? Tracy's got it. Speaking in public is the most feared thing. I happen to know a few things about that, so let's talk about it. <laughs> Speaking in public is more, has, more people are afraid of that than are afraid of dying. Does that make any sense? Some people ask me, are you really nervous when you get up to speak? And I said, not really. You don't know why? Because I learned something a long time ago. If I trip fall. I could land on my face. Do any of you guys think less of me? No. I, I, if I mess up and, and I speak in Spanish every week after that, Spanish is my second language. I mispronounce something every week, at least something. I do pretty good, but I make a mistake every time. Probably also in English, but I realize something you don't, you're not looking for an excuse to dislike me. I've told people, the only thing that makes people uncomfortable is thinking you're uncomfortable. If you're up there and you're like so nervous that you feel, then then they feel nervous for your nervous. But if I came up here with a trail of toilet paper dragging off of my shoe and I forget to zip up my fly and I've got a ketchup stain and... You know what? If I'm like, oh, sorry about that, and I just, you know, fix it, turn around, zip up my fly, brush off the... St- leave the stain there. You guys will forgive me instantly. But if I, like, have a meltdown because i'm so afraid of what you're thinking that's when you're going to think oh my goodness he shouldn't have spoke today that's it death is similar philippians 1 21 and 25 for me to live is christ and to die is gain but if i live on in the flesh this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for the progress and joy of faith. See, Paul had a healthy understanding of what death was. Death is a separation from his body. and a continuation. I don't get up here and purposely mispronounce things. I don't purposely trip or fall. But you know what? I am not paralyzed with fear that those things might happen because I recognize that the fear of them is worse than them. If I mess up, if I mispronounce something, if I forget to sip up my fly, it's happened before. My wife has busted me at the end of a service. Fortunately, I usually have an untucked shirt, so all right. I mean, we can make mistakes. Paul had that perspective on life. He said, I want to live. I recognize that living is more beneficial. But you know what? If I die, it's gain. What? What would it be like if we had an, a, a balanced perspective? If we didn't allow things in life, whether it's public speaking, whether it's, it's a car accident, whether it's, it's a financial difficulty, what if we could weigh those things, not excessively, but to recognize, wow, whether my life is long like Henry and Lorena's or it turns out to be short like Isaiah, I still spend eternity with God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So, as I was thinking about this, I came up with four realizations that we need to come to in relationship with life is short. With, with life, There are four realizations. I was, we, were, we were teasing about what we would put online today. I said, well, if we put up there the four realizations about life is short, the third one will blow your mind, right? <laughs> Clickbait. Okay. Four realizations. The first one, Eternity matters most. Famously, how many of you know the name Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot was a missionary who had this desire to reach an unreached group of people in the Amazon. And they had a, um, a plane, and they figured out that if they dropped a long rope they could put a basket on it, and he would fly out above this group of people. They were the Aukas, they were a very, they were a cannibalistic tribe, they were a very violent tribe. There were uh, soldiers and, and oil workers that were trying to drill for oil in that area, and there, the tribe would just come and wipe the people out. And they would drop off food. They could, if they flew their pain in a circle, they could lower that basket. Lowly, And they dropped it down, and the tribal people were taking gifts out of it and and putting things back in it, and and they were getting this interaction with him. And then he and his friends, they finally um, found a little section in the middle of a river, a little beach that was clear of trees. And so they landed their plane down there, and they met for the first time. They had a friendly encounter with those people. There, There is video footage from that. And they and his families had come, they were planning to evangelize this group of people. Then, after that positive interaction, the tribe came back, killed him and his buddies. This is what Jim Elliot said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Now, the rest of the story is that there was a member of that tribe who was kicked out of their tribe. Her name was Dayuma. And she ended up meeting, um, she went and joined a, a tribe that did have connection with the outside world. Jim Elliot's wife met her, learned the language, they went back out there, I met one of the men who killed Jim Elliot in Tulsa in the 1990s. That entire tribe was reached for the gospel because of what had happened. And through the wives of the men that they had killed, they were able to be reached and that tribe that had like a, I forget what the life expectancy was, but the murder rate was like 50-something percent. And the life expectancy was very low. And when the gospel came, their, their tribe, you know, murder plummeted. Their life expectancy skyrocketed. It has been amazing. All that to say, Jim Elliot made this point there are so many things that you can you can't keep anyway you're not going to keep your life past the end of you know what 120 years kind of tops but there is there is so much that can't be lost The Bible says it this way in Matthew 16, 26. It says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? We get so caught up in imagining that the things that make up this little portion of our life, those are the things that truly have value. They don't. Do they have value? Yes, but they're not the most valuable. Eternity matters most. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. We read this story making a different point recently, but I'm going to read it again. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came in and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Whatever your name is, just insert that in there for a second, and let's go back, okay? Let's read that like he's talking to Joshua. Joshua, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? Relationship. Relationship with God. Jesus said, there are so many things, and it Martha was, was working on dinner. Is dinner important? Eventually, yes, but it wasn't the most important. The priority was out of line. There's a very interesting, interesting parable. I'm just gonna read it before I make any comments on it. Just think about this one for a second. Luke chapter 16, one through eight. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said to himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved to do what? I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of my the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. I remember reading this thing and saying, did Jesus just praise this guy for stealing? For giving away? What? What just happened? What? What happened here? But he says that the kingdom of God is like this. And here's what he's praising. The shrewd servant recognized what lasted, what didn't. And his position was temporary. But he used a temporary position to acquire something that would last longer. And that's what made him shrewd. He realized, I currently have the authority to forgive these debts or to reduce these debts. So he used that, why? So that he would be received after his position was over. When his life on earth had ended, he used his time here to prepare for here. And Jesus said, now that's a shrewd servant. He recognized that what he couldn't keep anyway could be used to acquire what he wouldn't lose. And the shrewd servant reduced the bill for a couple of these people so that when his position was gone, he would be received. That's the story of the shrewd servant. What he was recognizing is that eternity matters. Relationships matter. How did he, how did he acquire re- that he built relationship? He took what didn't matter to any, wasn't lasting, money, and he turned that into a friendship. You know what, remember that time that I helped you out? Remember when you owed more than you could handle and I helped you out? You ever notice, especially men, how do men like bond? Oh, we talk about everything all the time. No, that's Bob. We go hunting together, we go fishing together, we go rock climbing together, we've done this, we've done that. How many ever notice that? If, if, if when guys define a relationship, it's like, what did we do? When girls define a relationship, it's like, what do we talk about? Oh, I tell her everything. Right? But but it's relationship. And he was building relationship. He was using the finances that he wouldn't have soon, not to just amass things that were going to be taken away from him, but to build relationships that would last beyond the title that he had. Relationships matter. At the end of our life, we're not going to be like, oh, I'm so glad I bought the blue Ferrari. No, I was the only one who had one. We're going to remember our relationships. Realization. Number three. Hebrews 12, 14, 15 says, Pursue... Peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. Here's the realization we need to come to. Unforgiveness isn't worth it period. It It's not worth it. Jesus said, pursue <clears throat> peace. He says, bitterness springs up and it defiles many. It doesn't say, and bitterness will defile you. It says, if you allow bitterness to, to spring up in you, it will defile everybody around you. There is just nothing I can think of that is more toxic than bitterness. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to be bitterness over something big. We all think of, all right, well, so and so, I mean, they're justified. I mean, you know, their their situation was huge. No. Bitterness can come over little things, over big things. It doesn't matter the size of the thing. You know, someone says, "Well, that their marriage di- went, you know, failed because of multiple Affairs, We say, okay, that's big. But how many marriages fail without ever having an affair? Because he won't put the socks in the dirty clothes. Because he won't call when he's running late. Because, 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 because. If we let big or small, it doesn't matter the size. If you get bitter about it, it springs up. What do we learn about seeds? They start small. Bitterness is a seed and it grows roots and it springs up. And it doesn't matter whether you start being bitter about an affair or whether you start being bitter about just not getting enough attention. If you choose to be bitter, you're going the same direction. Bitterness is like a kid holding their breath to get at their parents. I want this. Uh, No, you can't have candy for breakfast again. (gasps) They're turning blue. Is it hurting the parents? No, it's hurting them. Fortunately, mechanically, they'll pass out and then they'll start to breathe again and they'll be fine. (laughs) But the point is, they're damaging themselves in hopes of getting something from the other person. And that's what bitterness is like. It's never, ever worth it. Ephesians 4:26 says this, "Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. You can be angry without sin. This verse made it clear, "Be angry, but do not sin, and then explains, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. We you and I were not designed to stay mad Anger is righteous like indignation at something that is, that is inappropriate or out of place Anger is like pain When I touch the hot stove. I want it to hurt. Otherwise, I'll leave my hand there so long. I'll melt my finger Right now I currently have a little melted spot on my finger from touching something hot. It took a moment for me to realize that it was hot and I I let go. If I had kept it there, it got worse. Now, after I removed my hand from it, that, okay, good. Pain has accomplished what it needs to accomplish. Now I want the pain to stop. Right? We are designed by God, not for long-term anger anger is meant to be something short-lived you are not meant to hold it overnight how long should i be angry not overnight this is this is it says don't let the sun go down on your wrath It, it, it handles the situation. You, you recognize, you see something, you need, to, you need to react. You need to pull your hand away. You need to, to respond. Yes, that's okay. But you don't give them the silent treatment. No, I'm not talking to you. Tomorrow, nothing. The next day, nothing. That is toxic. It does not benefit you. It hurts you. We have so much study about stress and the negative as- impact that it has on our health. What is stress? It's it's that heightened fight or flight that didn't go away. It's that anticipation of the next thing. I'm expecting. I haven't. I've either haven't quit thinking about that one, or I'm already bracing for the next one. We're designed to be able to handle what's coming. God said he will not send any temptation or test beyond what we can bear. But I, and I've used this example many, many times. How many times can you die? One. But you've got people who are afraid of dying of COVID, afraid of dying in a car accident, afraid of dying of cancer, afraid of, of dying in their sleep. They're afraid, of, they're afraid of 72 ways to die. And they lose sleep, energy, cause, what? At worst, one of them is going to happen, not 72. That's 71 times the, the fret that they actually need. God has promised to give them the strength to handle what comes, but they're asking for the strength to handle everything that's not even coming. Anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment, all of that, it's the long term. You are, you are built to handle brief pain. You are not supposed to be in pain perpetually. If you have an issue that just always hurts, that's not right. Something is wrong, you need medical attention. Because the pain is supposed to tell you, don't step that way, don't stand that way, don't bend that way, don't... Okay, and then you correct, don't touch the fire, don't... But if it's just always hurting, something's wrong. We choose, when we choose not to forgive, we are choosing to perpetually hurt. We're taking something that God designed to be extremely temporary and we're stretching it out and then we're confused at why we don't feel like we can handle how we feel. It's meant to be temporary, not a lifestyle. Be angry, but do not sin Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When you stay angry overnight, and overnight, and overnight, and overnight, what are you doing? The Bible says you are giving place to the devil. You are destroying. How many of you have heard of someone who lost a loved one and then regretted that their last interaction was anger? Why? Why do we wait until then to be like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have just held on to that? Life is too short to spend it mad. Life is too short and too precious and too valuable to waste being angry. Don't do it. Let it go. The Bible says, how? He says, cast all your cares and anxieties on him, for he cares for you. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So many times we're like, well, if I don't hold them accountable, nobody will. Yes, God will. You think they've got to pay right here. He says, they're going to pay. Either I will pay for them or they will pay, but someone will pay. Number four. Psalms 20, verse six through seven says, "'Now I, the Lord, saves his anointed. "'He answers him from his holy heaven "'with the saving power of his right hand. "'Some trust in chariots, some in horses, "'but we trust in the name of the Lord.'" our god material things and money the bible says some trust in their cars their horses the things that they have but we put our trust in the lord matthew Chapter 6, verse 25 says this way, says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the valley, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his splendor, was not arrayed like one of these. It's all of these things that we think matter, they only matter here. Don't worry. God says, I've got you. First John chapter two, 15 through 17 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of, in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's he saying? He says, whether you live to a ripe old age or not, life is short, all those things are temporary, there is more valuable places to put your focus. That's not from the Father. But those who do the will of God abide forever. In scripture, it tells us that when we spend eternity in heaven, there will be a judgment when our actions are put on an altar and everything that had no value will be burnt up. But there are things that last. Precious metals and gems. in. In that verse, it says, and then those get added to our crown. Those last. There are things we can do that last. Like the shrewd servant. Don't waste your time accumulating that which is going to be taken away anyhow. Invest in what you can keep. When we win a soul to the Lord, we keep it. When we build a relationship with a brother and sister in Christ, we keep that. Matthew 6, 19 says, Lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust, or do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think I may have read this once before, but I'm gonna close with a poem that I wrote about um, why we work. So it's titled, I Work Each Day For. This is what it says. What is in a paycheck? Why is it so pursued? There's obviously something deeper than needing it for food. Some parts of what I do, I truly do enjoy. Sometimes I'm like a kid who just got a new toy. But fun is not the reason that I work each day. If it was the reason, I'd have long since walked away. Sometimes my work feels just like a chore. So what is the reason I'm doing it for? I get up in the morning when what I want is sleep. My motive is more than money. It's not just because I'm cheap. Money pays the bills and it keeps the cold outside, but seeking not but dollars is a disappointing ride. Many folks get rich and much to their surprise, found riches are not where true fulfillment lies. We think we go to work to fill our purse with money, but that is not the reason, no, I am not being funny. No one wants a dollar just because it looks so nice. We all want something else and the dollar is the price. We trade our time for money, And then we start to spend. But once we make a purchase, that trading didn't end. When I want a hole, they don't sell them at the store. So though I do not want it, I buy one tool more. I act as if I want a drill and a drill bit, but what I really want is what I will make with it. The thing that drives me on to earn another check isn't dreams of better cars that someday I might wreck. My paycheck is a tool with which to show my love it gives my hopes a finger, hopes a skin like fingers in a glove. The money I have earned will make a better life for the woman that I love, the one I call my wife. I trade my sweat and blood for dollars, that is true. I do it for my family, a form of I love you. I want the best for them, I hope that they can see. The reason that I work, it isn't just for me. When things at work get hard and I need motivation, my wife and my six kids are my inspiration. The people that I love are the reason that I work. They are inspiration for laziness to shirk. No one on their deathbed longs for cash and coin. Instead, it is their family they wish that they could join. I work each day for money, but not for its own sake. I work each day for tools, a loving family to make. I want I want to just Close with the call to prioritize, to recognize that whether we do live through this week or we live to 120, either way, our life is short compared to the eternity that faces us. Don't spend it bitter. Don't spend it angry. Don't spend it pursuing money. Recognize relationship with God first and with others is what brings value. Some of us need to forgive someone today, like now, like you have wasted years. Thinking that there is some thing that will happen that will finally make it worth all the thanksgivings you refuse to spend with them, and all the t- t- calls you refuse to make, and all the conversations you cut short, and all the times you wouldn't talk. There isn't. Forgive. Let go. You were not designed to stay angry. Did something happen that was legitimate source of frustration? Probably. But it's not your job to hold on to that for the rest of your life or theirs. Let go. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would quicken each one of us how we can apply this in our life. What person do we need to forgive what pursuit do we need to reprioritize have we put money a certain home a certain position at work a certain achievement out of priority out of order in our lives that does it need to be brought back into balance lord i pray that your holy spirit will touch each every one of us that will quicken in our hearts What you desire to show us to do, and that we would be inspired to take action today, in Jesus' name, Amen. And I want to say, as before we before we finish, we talked about the most important thing is eternity. How many of you here know that you're right with God? Your sin is forgiven. Praise the Lord. If you know that, the Bible says know that you have salvation. If you're looking at that and say, well, I want to know. I hope no, It'd be nice to know. The Bible says you can know. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What does saved mean? It means the guilt of sin is removed and you are now free to be in communion with God. We talked about eternity. We spend eternity either with God or apart from God. And the only way to spend it with him is for your sin to be forgiven, paid by his sacrifice. If you want to know that your sins are forgiven, every eye closed just for a minute, people watching online, I wanted to just ask you, raise your hand and we will pray that together and you will leave here knowing with certainty. For those watching online, just let's repeat this together. Say, dear God, I believe you sent your son who died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for my sin. I accept his payment and the forgiveness of my sin. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if that was you, please come down. We have a gift we'd like to give you. If you're online, we can get you that same gift digitally. All we need is just a message from you. So send us a comment, send us a private message, send us an email, go to the website, anything, and we'll get that to you. Thank you so much.